You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon by Elizabeth Rogers. Well, good morning. My name is Alan, with uh, Lee and Lisa not here. Several of their duties passed to others of us, like Daniel and I. And it is my joy to be able to have the duty of introducing to you Elizabeth Rogers for this morning's sermon. Elizabeth is part of our great church staff that helps implement our vision and our mission here at Classic City Church. And she serves as what we call the Connections Pastor, which means she is above missions and outreach and helps coordinate our small groups. And, and basically, she, that means she does everything. She's responsible for everything except the temperature in the sanctuary. That is not her fault, okay? That, that is not her. Um, Elizabeth graduated here uh, from UGA, from Grady College, and um, also has a master's degree, at uh, um, master's of divinity from Emory University. She served on the mission field for three years, um, and she has been part of this church ever since the first year that this church started meeting in Alps Elementary School. She has a wonderful healing story that happened here. She is truly part of our church family and now has uh, given her life to help serve and given her time to help serve our church full-time on our church staff. And she's married to our youth and young adult pastor, Josh, who's sitting over here. Lucky guy, he is. And um, she is going to come bring us God's word this morning. So would you come up? I would love to pray for you as you lead us this morning. Lord, we pray today, we pray for Elizabeth, that you would speak through her, that this morning as she opens your word, that she would speak as one speaking the very words of God. Lord, that you would open your word, that you would show us great and glorious things from your word through her, and that you would teach us, that you would strengthen our spirits and hearts, and Lord, that you would give her clarity of mind, clarity of voice to be able to represent you in a way that pleases you and blesses us. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Alan. Good morning, church family. So good to see you all this fine day. Um, As Alan said, I am blessed to serve as your Connections Pastor, and it really is what the title says. I am um, in the ministry of connecting people, which is really neat because whether it's an honored guest, welcome to you, and you're interested in coming to our Closer Look Luncheon and learning more about the church, or whether you've been coming for a while and want to start volunteering, or you're in volunteer that needs a small group or you're a member of a small group and you're like, I'm feeling called to start my own small group. I have the privilege of walking with our church family through the next stages that God has called them to. And that's why this sermon series, Uniquely Gifted, Specifically Stationed, has been so sweet to me. We are really blessed with an amazing church body. We have such great sisters and brothers that God has really, really gifted in so many ways. And this sermon series is based on one of our seven core values that says we believe that every believer is uniquely gifted and specifically stationed to serve God in ministry. And we say this not just because it sounds nice, but because it's scriptural. It's in the Bible a lot. And I've really loved Lee's catchphrase for this sermon series that you will discover why you are as God uses who you are and what you are 
to impact where you are. I love that. It's so simple, but so profound. And it's really been resonating with me a lot. Two weeks ago, Lee began the series and he talked about how like leaven in bread, we as Christians need to go out to change and impact the world around us. Well, last week he also shared the story of the paralyzed man whose friends carried and climbed and dug and lowered him to get him in front of Jesus and how we need to put in that effort for the people that God has specifically stationed in our lives to work and work and work until we can get them in front of Jesus. So if you were here last week, or if you heard the recording, you know that digging was this really positive thing in the kingdom of God last week. Well, this week in our passage, it ain't so positive. Today, we're focusing on the uniquely gifted part of our sermon series, and we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14. And this is one of Jesus's parables, and a parable is a short story that's used to illustrate a larger moral or spiritual lesson. And a parable is one of Jesus's favorite ways to teach, and this is the parable of the talents. Now, a talent was a large monetary unit back in the Greco-Roman world, and we're going to talk more about those later. Um, But you can relax. Yes, a talent is money, but this is not your annual tithing sermon. So everyone, breathe in, breathe out. That is not happening today. And I think you're going to see as we walk through this parable that it's about so much more than the money. So with that, um, let's turn to Matthew 25, starting at verse 14, and we're only going to read to verse 18, okay? Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. The the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So let's start at the beginning. Jesus is telling a story of a master going on a journey. And while many of us would not consider ourselves masters and much less of great wealth, maybe that's you, if so, praise God. But for the rest of us, the thing that we can relate to is the going on a journey part, right? Taking a trip is not easy. It's exciting, but it takes a lot of work. You got to pack your stuff, maybe hold your mail, take out the trash so your house doesn't stink when you get back, get a pet sitter, All these things, we, the Rogers, we're blessed to live next door to some church folk, the Burks. So a lot of times if we're going out of town, we'll holler across the driveway, hey, we're going to be gone, keep an eye out for us. And so they do that. But this master prepares for his journey by leaving his servants in charge of his wealth. And he does doesn't just leave them in charge. The text says he entrusted his wealth to them. And for us, the word entrust carries a lot of weight, right? It does for us today. But throughout the book of Matthew, that word is pretty weighty as well. In Matthew, when the word is used, it signifies something being completely handed over to a recipient. And that person is in charge of how the thing is used or how the situation is handled. And this is the same word that's used when Jesus is handed over to the authorities. 
and when Judas hands him over before the crucifixion. And so you can see how the recipient is in charge of how this situation is handled. And that's why the English word can be translated as entrusted, handed over, or betrayed. All with the same word. It's up to the recipient what is done with this thing that is entrusted to them. So the master entrusts his three servants with eight talents, and he divides these talents up between the three of them according to their ability. Now, when we leave town, the Burks are lucky. God bless them if they just get a piece of our mail. But these folks are getting a lot of money given to them because one talent is equal to the savings of someone working for 16 years and saving all of it. One talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. Denarii is what the one day's working wage is. So people much smarter and better at math than myself have realized that one talent is equal to over 16 years of working and saving. This is a lot of money. And so the first servant is given five talents. Whoa! The second servant is given two talents. Still, whoa, that third servant is just given the one talent. And so in the light of the first two, it might seem like he's getting gypped, right? Oh, just one talent. Come on, he gets so much. One talent is still so much money. So the servant that gets the five goes out at once, the text says. He goes to work and he makes five more. I think it's important that the verse tells us he goes out at once. He wastes no time. He takes what's been entrusted to him and he gets to work. The second servant that gets the two, we don't know how long it takes him. There's no time reference for him, which I think is interesting. But it does point out he goes to work and he too earns two more talents. But that third servant, what does he do? Text says he goes out, he digs a hole, and he hides the talent in it. Now this might seem weird to you, especially in the light of what the first two servants do. But if I'm honest with you, when I read this parable, I always feel so convicted because I'm like, ooh, I'm like the third servant. I'm one of those people who likes to keep my prized possessions really close to me. In fact, when Josh and I got married, he had to teach slash convince me to be a more responsible adult with my finances because if it were up to me, everything that we have, and it's not much, but what we have would be hidden safely in our mattress and I would sleep on it every night and keep my eyes on it. So please don't try to burgle us. Josh won. What we do have is tucked away safely in a bank. There's nothing in our mattress. <laughs> Wisdom won out. But so I really get what this third servant is doing. But what he does, it's both action and inaction all at once, right? Because it's not like he just sits there and does nothing. He has to go out and do something. He digs, which is physical labor. He's got to find somewhere where he can do it that's safe enough that other people won't find it, but that he won't forget where he hid it. So he acts, but only kind of. So let's keep reading to see what happens when the master returns. We're going to pick up at verse 19 and only read through verse 21. Matthew 25, verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, 
I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Okay. So it says a lot of time has passed. We don't know how long, but it's been a lot. And the master returns to settle accounts with these servants. And the first servant, the one who was given the five talents, comes to him first. And he calls him master. You entrusted me. You handed these five talents over to me. See what I have gained in return. He takes some responsibility and some agency, right? And then he gives it back to his master. And I want to reread the master's response because I think it's so beautiful. The master replies to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This is a powerful response. It's really exciting. But obviously, right, I mean, this guy just gave the master 10 talents. That's a whole lot of money. Of course the master is going to say this to him. It makes sense. So let's keep reading and see what the master says to the second servant. Verse 22. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Okay, so this is the second servant, the one who was given just two talents to begin with. And he comes up to the master and he starts the exact same way. He calls him master. You entrusted these talents to me. Look what I gained in return. Have them back. Now, this servant, the second one, has less than half of what the first servant has. And how does the master respond to him? Exactly the same. And it's even more powerful when you think that what this second servant has at the end of the parable is more than the first servant even started with. It's less, sorry, than the first servant even started with. And the master responds to him the exact same way. Interesting. So now let's read what happens with the third servant. Verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So this third servant, he starts again with the same word, master. Then he takes a hard left turn. Remember the first two, they acknowledge what was handed over to them and say, look at the action I took and here, have it all back. This third servant starts by calling him master and then follows it with an insult. He calls him a hard man, which basically means he does not think he's a good guy. He says he harvests and gathers for stuff he doesn't work for. Now, why would this servant say this to the master, especially in the light of how the first two talked to him? Well, it's because this servant has a different perspective of the master. He has a pretty negative view of him, right? He thinks he gets stuff that he doesn't work for, and as a result, he says he is scared of his master. And so that's why he just went out and hid the talent. 
The first two servants take ownership for what is handed over to them. This third servant just says here, take what's yours and leave me alone. These talents were handed over. They were entrusted to the servants, but only the third servant acted like it wasn't. Let's see how the master responds to him. Verses 26 through 28. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. Our parable is getting intense. The master calls this servant wicked and lazy. This is harsh. But notice how differently the master and the servant view the servant's intentions. The servant says, I did this because I was scared. And the master says, no, you didn't. You did it because you are wicked and lazy. He says, if the servant was really scared of the master, what he would have done is at least taken the talent to the bank so that it could accrue interest while the master was away and the servant wouldn't have to do anything. And by the way, that's the logic Joshua used, and that's why we use banks and not our mattress at our house. It works. But so the master is calling the servant's bluff, and he goes, you are not scared. You are lazy. Do we see this in life sometimes? People, or even ourselves, can avoid positive or healthy change or growth because we say, oh, we're scared of change, when really we're just a little lazy to put in the effort. So the master says, take this one talent from the third servant and give it to the first one who has the ten. Now let's get our heads back in the right space. Remember, this is a parable, and we know from the definition of a parable and Jesus' frequent use of them that there is so much more going on here than an unnamed master and his nameless servants, right? There is something more to this. We're a small crowd here today. Y'all can call out to me, right? Who do we think the master represents? Very nice. Who do we think the servants represent? Wow, praise God. Good job, congregation. Good. Now, but in the light of this, does what the master does here in this parable line up with how we normally understand how our master, God, distributes his resources? No. Just six chapters earlier, in Matthew 19, Jesus says his famous statement, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Well, this contrasts that the person who has the least has the least bit taken from him to then give it to the person with the most should leave our heads spinning. But that contrast, that spinning feeling should clue us in, this ain't about the money. It is not about the resources here. Remember, talents were a form of money in the Greco-Roman world. This is true. But y'all, this very parable is where our English word talent comes from. This parable. Talent as we know it, defined as a natural aptitude or skill. This parable is not about the money. 
It's about the servant's willingness to do something with what was given, what was entrusted to them. The master says, you have been faithful in a few things, so I'm going to give you more. That's the key word, faithfulness. Jesus' point is not about the amount given or gained, but what is done with it. So that's why the master says, take from the one who has the least to give it to the person that has the most. Because two of these servants were faithful. One was not. And this notion isn't crazy. Think about it. If every time we leave town and we keep leaving the Burks in charge of keeping an eye out for our home, but we got robbed every time we were gone, would we keep letting the Burks watch our home? No, that would be silly, but they do a great job. Um, But that's why we can understand what the master does here. It makes sense. And it's important to keep this in mind as we read the end of our passage. Let's read verses 29 and 30. The master continued, For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The master is upset. And this is tough to read. But please remember, the lesson here is not about how or how not to use the master's funds. That's not what's happening. And we see this even further when we compare it to Matthew chapter 18. There, Jesus tells another parable about another master and servant. And that master forgives the servant of an outrageous debt. And that servant is indebted to the master because he mishandled the master's funds. And even still, the master forgives him of it. It's not about the money, there or here. Our master in this parable is upset because he entrusted his own wealth to his servant. And then that servant thought so lowly of it, he just put it in the dirt. He buried it. That's what's upsetting. He gave this servant his own talent that wasn't just accidentally, but intentionally wasted. This parable is not about the money. Each servant is given a lot They are giving plenty. Even just one talent is still a whole lot of talent. And you can see why we took the word talent from this parable and use it the way we do now in the English language. Our master, God, entrusts his talents to his servants, all of us. We all get different amounts and different types. This is true, but all of us have been entrusted by God with his unique gifts to do something for his kingdom. Uniquely gifted, specifically stationed, each of us. And to not use the talents that he has entrusted us is a form of betrayal. So with this in mind, let's reread part of the inspiration. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the first four and the last four from the inspiration. Verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For what? Common good. 
Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Does that passage resonate a little differently in the light of that parable? There are different kinds of gifts and talents, yes, but all are distributed by the same Spirit. The same Spirit entrusts us with those unique gifts, and it's the same God at work in each and every one of them. And they are not given for our own personal gain, but for the common good. So with this in mind, why would we ever, ever think a good idea of using the unique gifts that God has given us would be to dig a hole, pack them down, and bury them? Paul is writing this to the Corinthians because they are overemphasizing certain people's gifts over others. And he tells them, you have got it all wrong. No gift is greater than another because without each person's gifts, the body of Christ can't fully function. Each is an indispensable part of the church body. And this idea of the church as the body of Christ is perhaps Paul's best known image for the church. Believers make up the body of Christ and there are many parts with different functions and roles, but they all come together to serve the same purpose, one function. And we are familiar with this usage of this metaphor today, right? This Christian interpretation of it. But when Paul writes about it to the Corinthians, this is an ongoing metaphor that was prevalent in the Greco-Roman world at the time. But it was used to enforce the hierarchical society that was in place. They used it to say, yes, some of us are important parts of this body. We're the head, we're the arms, we're the legs. And others of you, you're the toes, you're the fingers, you're the guts nobody sees. So you do you, but let us be the important parts. Paul takes this popular metaphor and flips it on his head and says, guess what? You're wrong. Everyone, every part is important. And we know this because think about it. If you get one measly paper cut on your teeny tiny finger, all your big, beautiful brain can think about for the next hour is how much that one finger hurts. We know this, and Paul is saying every person in the body of Christ is essential. You with the one talent, you with the four, you with the ten, you are all uniquely gifted and entrusted with God's talents to use them to serve the common good. And that's what Jesus is saying in his parable too. Because once you become part of the body of Christ, the Spirit entrusts you with his gifts to serve his kingdom. If you're not doing that, your absence is felt. It's a betrayal. Our talents are bigger than ourselves. And we know this because they weren't ours in the first place, right? It's the master who entrusts these talents to his servants and then says, go out and share. Share in my work and then share in my happiness. This is a privilege. 
This is not work. We are encouraged by God all the way along. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then invited to share in the reward, share in his joy. It's not about the talents, but about what faithfulness you have in using the ones God has given you. This is a parable for believers, for those in that body of Christ who believe that Jesus is Lord and have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If this is you, God has uniquely gifted and entrusted his talents to you. Do you know what those talents are? And I'm not asking you to count how many you have because that is not what it is about. Those talents that God has given you are not accidental. And some of them are going to be spiritual gifts like 1 Corinthians 12 list. But some of them are just practical gifts. A few of you out here can sing. Do you sing for the kingdom of God? Um, Some of you are good with kids. Do you do that for the kingdom of God? Most of you have homes. Do you open them up for the kingdom of God? All y'all can dish out a frozen turkey on November 22nd for the kingdom of God at the Rock Springs Fall Festival. But seriously, God has entrusted you with unique gifts for a purpose and invites you to share in his happiness by using them. Are you doing this? Are you like that first servant going out at once and getting to work and bringing back this gain and giving it to the kingdom? Are you like the second servant, maybe taking a little longer, working on things, getting out there, but working, bringing it back to God? Or are you like that third servant, digging a real pretty hole and covering it all up and hoping it's forgotten about? I think this parable shows us three reasons why it should be really easy to use our talents for the kingdom of God. The first one is these talents are given according to the servant's ability. We are made by God to do these things. It reminds me of my very favorite Bible verse, Ephesians 2.10. And it says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. They're prepared in advance, and we were made for them. We are not judged on how much ability we have because God gave us that ability. We just got to do something with what we've been given. God does not call you to something without equipping you for it. And sometimes you are equipped straight out the gates. Other times he prepares you as you walk faithfully into that calling. But that does not mean that just because he equips you, what he calls you to will not be hard. But that is not an excuse to be lazy and not follow through. Second reason I think this parable shows it's easy to use God's talents in the kingdom of God is because it's not about the results we get, but about our faithfulness. The master says twice, you have been faithful in just a few things, I'll give you more. Just be faithful in a few things. And what I think is really neat is that we are not told with those first two servants what they do to be faithful. We don't know what they do and get out and work at. We don't know. But I bet it's what God gave them the ability to do, what they're naturally good at. They get to be creative. It's just about our faithfulness. 
And I think the third reason why it should be really easy to use our talents for the kingdom of God is because it's really what our perspective of God is that propels us forward to use our gifts in his kingdom. If you truly know who God is, your insanely generous master who entrusts his own wealth to you, invites you to participate in his purposes and then share in his happiness, how could you ever stop using your talents for the kingdom of God? If you are not using your unique gifts for the kingdom, I think it's a sign that there's a bigger issue at play. Maybe your perception of God is skewed. Maybe it's negative. Maybe this comes as a result of a loss you've suffered or trauma you've endured, or maybe just your own sin getting in the way. And if this is you, I want to say I'm so sorry because I know that is not an easy season to be in. I've been in them, and I'm here to say they don't have to last forever. And we see in Matthew 18 that if the servant is truly repentant and goes to the master and says, hey, I blew it, I'm so sorry, grace upon grace is given. We all have gifts and talents entrusted by God to us. And we get to choose how or even if we use them for his kingdom. And I think that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 12 ends the way it does and chapter 13 starts the way that it does because it's basically saying, hey, you can have all the gifts you want, but if you don't have love, it's nothing. If you don't love your master, you are wasting your time. What is your perception of your master? Because if you see him truly, you won't be able to stop using your unique gifts for him. You are all talented because you have been entrusted by God as his servant to serve his kingdom. What are you doing with the talents that God has given you? He's not given you more of them than you can manage. And it's not about what you do in return. Just be faithful in a few things. Because when you use these gifts faithfully, God multiplies your simple endeavors more than you could fathom. Now, at this point in the sermon, another preacher might you know, share a really powerful testimony from someone she knows or maybe from her own life to show how God has been so mighty and with just faithfulness in a few things, he multiplies them and the kingdom has changed forever. I could do this. I could be up here for another 15, 30 minutes in this Arctic tundra, everyone loving life, um, sharing how I've seen God do this time and time again. But I am not, because so often in the body of Christ, we take testimonies like that, and we can compare ourselves to other people and go, oh, well, so-and-so, she's got that gift, and I don't have it, so I could never do anything like that, so I'm just going to stay right here and pray for that person. That is not the point. We all have unique gifts that are indispensable to the body of Christ, each and every one of us. We're a small crowd today, and I'm blessed to know a lot of y'all out here. I love you so much. I have yet to meet one person who has just one talent. But even if you did, it's still plenty. But can you talk? Can you walk? Those are gifts. They are not promised to us in this life. Use them for the kingdom while you still can. 
Being ready for Christ's coming involves so much more than just playing it safe or doing just enough to get by. What are you doing with your unique gifts? I see them in you. You have them. If you use the unique gifts that God has entrusted specifically to you, you will discover why you are as God uses who you are and what you are to impact where you are. It's a given. But to not do this is a form of betrayal. He entrusted you for a divine purpose, and I promise you do not want to miss out on it. It's often a lot of fun. And best of all, when your master returns to settle accounts, he will look at you, his beloved, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Let me show you some more. Come and share in my happiness. You are so uniquely gifted. Please, do not bury God's talent. The body of Christ needs you. The world needs you. And we need each other. Because it is only when the body of Christ comes together with all of our unique diversity of gifts are we fully unified as the body of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the privilege of being yours. Thank you that we are much more than servants, also co-heirs and children of God. But thank you for the privilege of being your servant, for entrusting us with your talents. I pray we don't disparage these gifts, but are faithful in using them to serve your kingdom for the common good. Would you stir in our hearts what you are calling us to do with your talents? Would you remind us of the things that we have buried in the back of our hearts and our minds and bring them to light? Let us be the fully functioning body and bride of Christ. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.